Good morning and greetings in the precious name of our risen Lord and Savior, the one who loved you and I enough to come and die for us sinners. That's a blessing, and I believe that's why we are here this morning. I count it a privilege to be here with you this morning at Bible School in 2023. We have been anticipating this for quite some time, and I assume you have been as well, and trust that we will be blessed. God has been faithful to us, and as we look into his word, he will direct us. I appreciated the songs that we sang this morning. They went right along with what I was thinking about sharing, and that is the thought of God wanting to be near us and care for us. As a bit of an introduction to the message, Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus used some very strong words here. Those are very direct words. He said he will build his church. It will happen, and it is happening today, in our day, not just back in that time. Are you a part of that work? Are you a part of that building? I trust you are. I trust we all have that desire. He goes on to say that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he says that with certainty. It's not just a probable chance that it will be one way or the other. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And if he said they won't prevail, they just won't. It's that definite. So bringing it to us today, Christ is building his church. Is he building in your heart and in your life? Is he directing you and teaching you? You know, young people, it will take more than just attending your home church to have a destiny of heaven in eternity. It will take more than attendance. Christ needs to work in each one of us personally, and we need to allow him to do that. Going another step, it says here, Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Are the gates of hell prevailing in my heart and life? Are they making effort to? They will make effort to prevail. Sin will make effort to press in. They will threaten. But we must not, by the power of God, succumb to that pressure. Let's not forget, Christ will build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. May we abide as his followers in the will of God by study, 
by prayer, by looking into his word, and applying it to our lives. And I believe that's why we're here at Bible school today, is to do that very thing, is to grow in what God would have us to be. Moving on to our message, let's turn to a familiar count in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. We have the story here of three young men, godly young men, and I think we're just going to go right ahead and read that chapter and get the details of what's happening here. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye shall fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the Cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. 
But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto him, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and spake, and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together, saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Nor was an hair of their heads singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. And we'll stop reading there. Just an amazing account of God working in the lives of these young men. The power of God at work, evident here. The title for the message I have taken from verse 17. In the first line there, we have two words. We have our God. And in the second line of that verse, we have two more words, is able. Our God is able. These three Hebrew men said their God was able. Is your God able? Now to this thought of our God. Who are we referring to? Back at home, in our work, in my work, I'm a builder by trade, and so we get into people's houses and we, sometimes the project is larger, sometimes it's smaller, sometimes we replace a door. This given project we were on 
We had, it was a small project, we had done it, we were wrapping up, and as happens sometimes, the customer says, hey, could you come over and take a look at some, something else that's giving me trouble? So sure, let's go look at it. We went over and looked at it, but in the meantime, it was a daughter or a daughter-in-law, I'm not sure which, had pulled up by the street curb with her Tesla SUV and had got out and had come in with her son. And they were in the living room by the time I had got over to take, at the living, uh, take a look at the living room door. And I overheard a little conversation that went a little bit like this. This grandson looked like he might have been six or seven years old. And he sat somewhat starchily on the couch and said to his grandma, I am a god. And her response was, oh, do you have any special abilities? I don't know where the conversation went from there because I was looking after other things. But that's a sad scene. That is a really sad scene. But to our subject this morning, I want to clarify that when we say our God is able, that we are not referring to or speaking of some self-made image or God that we might have of ourselves, or even some special ability that we think we may have or possess or be able to exercise. That's not what we're talking about. When we say our God is able, we are referring to the God who created heaven and earth and each one of us here this morning. The God who King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 26 referenced as the most high God. The most high God above all others. Now, going back to our reading, I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar had gone so far as to say that he was a god, but did you pay attention to what was going on in these verses as we read? Let's go back and take a quick look. In verse 1, in the end of verse 1, he's, he's talking about this image, and he says, the image which King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Verse 1, verse 2, the end of the verse, the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Verse 3, the end of the verse, the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And so you get the picture. We have all these references to what I have done, to what King Nebuchadnezzar had done. And it seems like he wanted everybody to be at his beck and call. And he called all of his most important men to this meeting. And he wanted to prove to them, it seems, that he had abilities. He had some ability. He could make an idol. He could make the people worship. And the ability that it appears like he was exercising is worship the idol that I have made or die in the fiery furnace. But either way, you choose. But either way, you're going to obey me. You're going to do what I decide. And so these three young men found themselves in a particularly 
difficult situation. Very difficult, but they stood. And when they were questioned by the king, they remained true. In verse 15, we see another thought process that the king is holding on to. He is questioning these three young men. And he said, if you don't listen, I will throw you in the, into the burning, fiery furnace. And then at the end of the verse, he kind of hurls it out. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? And he kind of hurls that at them. He didn't think any other God could. It seems like he was of that persuasion. And then we come to verse 17, where they told the king directly, and this is pulling a couple words from different sections of the verse, but they said, our God is able. Our God is is able. What a tremendous testimony to a heathen king. Now, pulling those thoughts together a bit, we started out with the thought of Christ building his church and the gates of hell not prevailing against it. And now we add this thought of our God is able. What is God able to do for the Christian? What is God able to do for you or me? What is God able to do? Do we believe and live our lives with complete confidence that our God is able? No question. It's a burden upon my mind, young people, because... The way we view God will define how we will live our life. And therefore, it is crucial how we view God. These three young men viewed God as being completely able. And because of that view of God, God was able to work mightily in them. And the way we view God and what he is able to do in my life or not will have a direct impact upon the decisions that I will make and the ultimate outcome of my life. So what is God able to do for the Christian? What is God able to do for you? I would like to look at four of them this morning. And God has many abilities. Four, he is not limited to four. But God has many abilities. We'll look at four this morning. And maybe you can add two more of those as we go through the coming days and weeks and study from his word. The first one is here in Daniel chapter 3. God is able to deliver. And so this was a physical deliverance. We're going to make a couple spiritual applications here as well. 
But God is able to deliver. In verse 17, we have that. As we think about physical deliverance and our God being able to work, God is not limited to the laws of science. The fire that was seven times hotter than what that furnace was prepared to contain and that burned human life, took human life at the mouth, did not consume the lives in the furnace because God is an able deliverer. If only Nebuchadnezzar could have read in Hebrew history how the fire of God on Mount Carmel had burned up the sacrifice, the stone, the water, and the dust about Elijah's altar, he could have better understood the coolness of his furnace's fire in comparison to the ability of God. Now, don't get me wrong, that furnace was hot. That furnace was very hot. But as we compare it to what God is able to do, God's ability was not nearly outdone. God is able to deliver us from the hottest of fires today, physically and spiritually. Our God is able. Number two, God was not limited to the reasoning of men. In Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he had presented an impossible situation. Impossible to skirt around it. You either obey me and worship the idol or we're going to stick you in the furnace and that will be the end. But one way or the other, we will handle you. But remember, our God is able. He is not limited by what looks impossible to me. God is not limited by what looks impossible to me. When Mary was talking with the angel Gabriel, this was on my mind because I, we just came through Christmas time and I had studied into some of this. Mary was talking with the angel Gabriel and he was telling her that she was going to have a son. Mary had a very logical question. She said, how will this be, seeing I know not a man? That was her question. Very logical, very reasonable, very rational. And you know what Gabriel's response was? He said this in Luke 1, verse 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Absolutely nothing. Even before the most logical reasoning of mankind. And what is more, it becomes evident in the account of Mary having a son that we have the gift of salvation not because man had a good logical reasoning but because with God, nothing 
is impossible. Are we fully persuaded of that this morning? Our God is able. Thirdly, God's ability is not defined by the outcome of our circumstances. That might take a little bit to process. But these young men told the king that God is able to deliver them, but they did make a comment. They said in verse 18, But if not, if God does not deliver us from your hand, be it known that we won't serve your God or your idol. Let's remember that God's ability is not defined by the outcome of our circumstances, the way we see them. God allowed these men to be tied. He allowed them to be thrown into the fiery furnace. That was a very difficult thing. They didn't know if God was going to allow them to walk back out or not. They well may have thought it was the end, but they were convinced that God was able, whether he did or whether he didn't. We must not try to judge God by what we deem as lack on his part. Lack of response. That is not our responsibility. God's ability is not dependent upon our, the outcome of our circumstances. Whether he chooses to deliver us or not physically, we know he is able. Spiritually, in this account, God is able to deliver us from the allurement of sin and the golden idols. These young men were called to bow down to one. But do we have golden idols today? I believe we do. I believe we do. And God is able to deliver us from those. We have many of them in our day today. He is able to deliver us from the bondage of sin, sin that wants to, uh, that the devil wants to use to tie us up with and put us in bondage, in strongholds, just again like King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do, did to these young men here. And the devil also wants to laugh at us and act like there is none other that can deliver us from his grasp. He will do his best to convince us of that. Our God is able to deliver us spiritually. Let's not let him convince us otherwise. All right, for the second ability of God, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, verse 14. We could read much more of this chapter here. He is talking about, in verse um, 9, he's talking about God who created all things. Verse 10, he's talking about his power and his manifold wisdom. But we'll begin reading here in verse 14. 
Ephesians 3, 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. God is able to do exceeding abundantly. Now, how much is that? What does it do mean to do something abundantly? It means to do it with ample measure, plenty, more than enough. That's the definition of abundantly. But Paul is saying here that God is able to do it exceedingly, exceeding abundantly, far beyond way beyond what we can think or ask, way more than we can think to ask. God is able. God is able. There's a couple elements here. A couple elements here that I want to point out how God is able to share this exceeding abundance with us in this passage. Again, there's many more we could turn to. But in verse 16, God is able and he strengthens us abundantly with might by his spirit. Have you ever observed fellow Christians going through life and facing things that appear very, very difficult? And we look on that and we say, how, if I was in their shoes, how, I, maybe I wouldn't make it. I trust that's not your thought, but sometimes we do have that thought as we look on to others. But God is able to strengthen us by his spirit and grant courage. He is. He is able to do that exceeding abundantly. Another one here in these verses is in 17, verse 17 and 18. We have the exceeding abundance of the love of Christ. The love of God is exceeding abundant. He sent his son to die for us. And I cannot wrap my mind completely around that concept. We, we endeavor to, we do the best we can. But why would a sinless, why would the sinless Son of God allow himself to be brought to this earth, to walk here among humans, and then to be unjustly judged and killed? We will not. We cannot completely 
understand the love of Christ in our human minds. Verse 19 says, it passeth knowledge. The love of Christ is exceeding abundant to us, to all of us, and it passes what we can fully comprehend. Our God is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Our God is able. May we never forget that truth. Another one is in Hebrews 7. Another ability of God. Hebrews chapter 7. This is the chapter where Christ is talking about Melchizedek and Christ and Christ being the high priest. And we'll begin reading in verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. For they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. In the Old Testament, they had many priests because, well, the priests were human like us. They died. And so when one died, they went on with another one. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, Christ, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. God is able to save to the uttermost. Has God saved you to the uttermost, completely, totally. I trust he has. But if it seems like the gates of hell seem to be pressing in and taking a territory in our heart or our life, God is able to save us to the uttermost. He is. God is able. We talked a bit about the devil earlier. He will do his best to place us in bondage. He will do his best to keep us in bondage, in the strongholds of sin. He will do whatever he can to deter us from the gift of salvation. He will want us to become bogged down and discouraged. And he wants us to begin doubting that God really is able to completely save me. He will do his best. But our God is able to save us to the uttermost completely. Let's remember that. Now there is a requirement here. If we look in verse 25, it says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, 
that come unto God by him. There's some responsibility on our part. We have a responsibility to come unto God by him, Jesus. We cannot just accept the gift of salvation and turn and go on our way and do our own thing and think that God will save us to the uttermost. Jesus spoke clearly to that matter in Luke 9.23, and he just says plainly, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let's not forget that. Our God is able to save us to the uttermost, but we also have the responsibility of coming to him. Fourthly, let's go to Jude. Jude, verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. God is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless. I love this benediction. It's a committing of ourselves to him who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the presence of an almighty God. And what a blessed privilege that is. And take note that it is not just hardly able to present us faultless or hardly able to keep us from falling. It says he is able to do it with exceeding joy. Our God is able to present us before the glory of the Father. Faultless, a place where sin cannot and will not abide. Young people this morning, I don't know what you face in your life, and I don't necessarily need to know. But what I do know is that life holds reality many realities for all of us, each one of us. And life is real. And my prayer is this morning for you is that we would be as Paul was, the Apostle Paul, as he said in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. He said, For I know whom I have believed. We have faith here. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him 
against that day. Our God is able. Paul was persuaded of this, and I trust we are as well. May we not let the things that come into our lives, physical or spiritual, shake our faith in God, but rather may it be a strengthening of that faith in God, that our God is able. As Christ builds his church, let's remember that the gates of hell will not prevail against it because our God is able. May God richly bless you as you trust your all to our able God. Shall we stand for prayer? Our Father in heaven this morning, we come to you and realize we are needy humans. We thank you for looking upon us and loving us before we knew you. We thank you for being an able God and sending us the gift of salvation and being able to redeem us completely and to present us before the Father spotless. We pray that you would guide us in our day, in the day of many temptations and pressures. May we be faithful. May we trust our all to you. May you guide us and lead us and teach us what you would have for us. Would you continue to bless our morning and each one here? And may your will be done in our hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.